Welcome to the Holistic University Podcast, featuring your well-being coaches, Sydney and Alina. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Holistic University. I'm Alina Siebold. Hi, everyone. I'm Sydney Rousseau. Welcome back. We have a special episode for everybody today. We are here with Miss Allison Hall from the Counseling Center, and we're just going to get to know her today. You guys are going to get to know a little bit about her, what she does at URI, and let's just get right to it. So, Miss Hall, I'm going to be calling you Miss Hall because I was raised to call people by their last name with Mr. Mr. in front of it. Can you just give us okay. a little introduction, what you do, your title at URI? Sure. So I am a clinical counselor at the URI Counseling Center. I've been there for just under three years. So I joined the team a a little bit more than two and a half years ago. Um, And at campus, I primarily do individual short-term solution-focused counseling with students who come into the Counseling Center. Uh, I also do some outreach on campus. And one of the weeks that I tend to be more active with outreach is National Eating Disorder Awareness Week, which we're heading towards right now. Uh, Prior to coming to URI, I was the lead clinician with the Hasbro Eating Disorder Program uh, for about 14 years. Um, So I do have a background in working with eating disorders. I have my certification as an eating disorder specialist through the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals. And I actually started a Rhode Island chapter of the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals as a way to support professionals in the community who are either actively treating people struggling with eating disorders or want to start feeling more confident in doing so, that we could really grow a peer support network within the, within the state, um, primarily to you know, really support using evidence-based treatment models when we're seeing patients and also support each other in what can be, you know, a challenging, challenging dynamic. Wow. That's so interesting. (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot of experience. And and that's really ties in well with what we wanted to talk about today with National Eating Disorder Awareness Week coming up. Um, So I just want to backtrack a little bit. So at the Counseling Center at URI, can you just give us a little bit of an overview of like issues that students might have when they come to the counseling center, you know, when, who should reach out and when should they reach out? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, And I'm glad you're asking it and hoping that students who are listening can get a better understanding of what we do at the counseling center. Um, So really what people come to the counseling center with as far as concerns, there's such a wide range. Um, It's really anything you feel is interfering with your quality of life, your feeling able to, you know, uh, appreciate college and what it's offering, um, navigating some of the challenges that come up. Um, Some examples I'll give you is for many people, there's, you know, fluctuation in the anxiety they experience and anxiety might become heightened if maybe you're taking a public speaking course and public speaking is really hard for you. It's hard for a lot of people. So looking for some strategies maybe to manage anxiety. Um, We deal with a lot of um, issues around anxiety, depression, eating concerns, relationship issues. You know, it's not always easy to get along with roommates. Um, maybe you're experiencing a first breakup from a relationship, and that can be really hard. Um, so there's really quite a right, wide range, and there's also a big range in how people use the counseling center. So some people might come in just 
you know, for a one-time visit. Maybe again, I'm having an argument with my roommate. This is the first time I've had to live in tight quarters with somebody that I'm not getting along with. Can we get some pointers on how to navigate that? Or maybe it's something along the lines of, I know I've had underlying anxiety for the last 10 years. I've never really dealt with it. And I think I'm ready to start talking about it. Um, so again, there's a wide range in topics and really what people are looking for when they come to the counseling center. Wow, those are really great examples. And I think a lot of college students can relate to that. I, I laughed a little when you said about the public speaking course, because the first time I ever signed up for public speaking, I dropped the class two weeks in and had to take it the next semester because I had such bad anxiety. So right. that's, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a hard thing, I think, for most of us, you know, to get up and talk in front of a group of our peers. And it can be super anxiety provoking. But the more we practice it, the easier it comes. Yeah. And honestly, I don't know about Sydney, but it was a little anxiety. My anxiety was a little heightened when we started the podcast because it was like all of our peers, our bosses, our friends and family are listening to us on a platform that anybody can access. So it was kind of, it was a little anxiety provoking for me. I don't know about you, Sydney, but yeah, that's a great example of one. So what is a typical signing up process at the counseling center? Like what would students expect when they're signing up? So the most common way for people to access the counseling center is through what we call our triage or pre-screening hours. And that's something that the counseling center put in play, into place not too long ago primarily because we wanted students to be able to talk to somebody the same day they wanted to talk to somebody, right? Because for many, for many people, um, the idea of actually making that phone call can be really unnerving or walking into the counseling center can become really unnerving. So to be able to make the call when you feel ready to do it and not say, I have to wait three weeks before I talk to a clinician. Um, so our triage hours or pre-screening hours are Monday through Friday from 10 to 3. And when we're not in the middle of a pandemic, that means you can just walk right into the counseling center. One of our really lovely administrative assistants will orient you to the counseling center. You'll fill out some questionnaires and then you'll wait and the next clinician available will see you. Um, for, you know, usually that's a brief intervention. That's about 15 or 20 minutes. We get to know what's going on with students. We talk a little bit about what's available for resources. And we put a plan in place. And that's where we may be, you know, signing students up for a group. We have a really robust group program. A lot of students are a little unnerved by the idea of group and then really, really enjoy it once they get involved. Um, or maybe we're assigning them to a clinician for a full intake and then that short-term solution-focused counseling. And for some students, we're giving them referrals to the community um, because maybe they want to see somebody more frequently than we have availability or they're looking at more long-term. I don't want to start with one clinician and then have to transition to somebody new next year. So, so perhaps we're doing a referral into the community. Yeah, thank you for that. I know a lot of students sometimes don't know what like the typical process is, which sometimes weans them away from wanting to um, sign up for the yeah. counseling center. So I we I really appreciate you explaining the process. I I'm sure I gave a lot of students clarity just like knowing the step by step. Sure. And, you know, one thing I'll note, because we are in the middle of a pandemic right now, um, right now we're doing everything um, online. So we're remote for everything, but the process is just calling the counseling center and then a clinician will call you back for that triage. 
Um, and then after that, we're doing most of our sessions on Zoom, which allows it to feel more face-to-face -face with a personal connection. Uh, and there I'll point out that once the pandemic hit in March, we got pretty active at the counseling center with applying for temporary licensure anywhere that our students were that would allow us to do that. So many states have allowed temporary licensure um, and that really allowed us to support students over break um, as well as some students are doing all of their classes remotely. Wow, that's interesting because I'm from New York. So I know a lot of students are from Rhode Island. So like hearing that if I was home, I could still access the counseling center. That's that's comforting to know and probably for other students to know as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, have you noticed a change now that we're entirely virtual in just the overall mental health of students and kind of being more isolated? Are there any ways that they, uh, students can stay more connected? Yeah, so that is a really common theme. And I think not even looking at solely students at URI, but really considering the entire country right now, many people are feeling disconnected. A little bit of Groundhog Day syndrome where it kind of feels like same thing, you know, over and over again. Um, and so, you know, one thing that I would put out there is it can be a good time to take a step back and think, what are the things that bring me pleasure when we're not in the middle of pandemic? And how might I get creative in doing that right now? So for instance, you know, I love going to the movies. I like the experience of walking into the theater. I love the smell of the popcorn. I like to get a cherry Coke. Like those are all things that I really enjoy that whole dynamic. I'm not gonna go to the movie theater right now. That's, you know, not comfortable for me. But could I find a movie that's new that's out on Netflix and invite a friend that I don't live with to watch it with me on Netflix party and then go grab some of those snacks I really like at the grocery store and set it up like I'm at the movies. Right. So becoming creative and trying to think a little bit outside of the box. And while these things don't sound huge. Right. Some of these little things can be really helpful. Um, so if I, you know, really like to go to the gym, but I'm not comfortable going to the gym, what parks in the state, what free parks that are outdoors in the, you know, we get some decent days that we can be outside, have a setup where I can do a workout. Um, what hikes can I try to discover? Or maybe even thinking about is there... Uh, some kind of a hobby that I've always wanted to try that I haven't had time to do. So again, it's just kind of giving yourself these little tasks to think outside of the box to break up that redundancy. And some of these things we can do with partners, right? So we can meet somebody with a mask and go on a hiking trail. We can, uh, again, do like a Netflix party or some kind of a watch party together. You can stream anything on Zoom with people. Um, so it's, I think a lot of it is, is looking at how we can get creative to get through these next couple of months of, of winter weather in New England. Yeah, absolutely. And I like how you said it's it's in the little things. Elena and I like to talk about that a lot. And just, just that small tweak in your day, like doing something outside of your normal routine, it really does break up the monotony of these long weeks. Sure. Yeah. And the watch party, fun fact, I do that with my dad from, he's all the way in Long Island and we turn on the Hulu party and we both watch The Bachelor together. So it's those little things, those little tweaks, just to stay connected to people. But can you tell us more about Need a Week, what you contributed to it last year, and just overall, what's the purpose of it for students and everybody? Yeah, so Need a Week is National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. 
Um, and I will note that Need a Week events have been happening at URI for a very long time. They're not something new. Um, I was really excited to put some effort into that based on my background. And I, I feel really passionate about um, kind of spreading the word, doing advocacy, helping people understand that eating disorders happen and there's great treatment out there and people can get better and making that accessible. Um, and a big part of Need a Week is just that, spreading the word that there are services to help people when they're struggling with eating disorders, to start working against the stigma that there should be shame and guilt in struggling with something like an eating disorder. Um, so National Eating Disorder Awareness Week is a national effort to do promotion, advocacy, um, programming that that is focused on eating disorders. Um, and I've worked in a number of different ways since joining URI to kind of try to do just that with different organizations around campus. Health Services has been great in partnering. Eureka is partnering this year with, with uh, the Counseling Center. Um, even partnering with national organizations that are promoting and offering workshops and speakers. Um, is a nice way to kind of bring that partnership together. Um, so last year was an interesting year because we got started with Needle Week just as COVID was kind of overlapping with things. So some examples of things that happened last year, I did a, a overview on eating disorders for a nutrition class, um, helping kind of look at what life might be like if you are interested in working with eating disorders, what treatment modalities nutritionists get or dietitians get involved in. Um, I also had set up a guest lecturer to come in and speak to a group of nursing students, um, which unfortunately, it was gonna be at Hasbro, which is great, right? Because it was working with students who were actually working with people with eating disorders on the floor. Um, but we did cancel that because of COVID, the, the doors of the hospital closed to outside visitors. Um, we've screened movies before to bring awareness around body confidence. Um, it's a big kind of week to promote body confidence, work against weight stigma. Um, and this year we are partnering with Renfrew to bring in a discussion on intersecting identities and eating disorders, looking at marginalized groups who struggle with eating disorders but are underrepresented in research, uh, which really leads to a trickle-down effect of the tools that we use, the treatments that we use, uh, not being accessible to large groups of people. Um, so looking at groups such as LGBTQ+, people of color, um, and the impact of eating disorders on those populations. Wow, that, that's a lot of great work that you're doing. Is the Inside Out Week the same as NIDA Week, right? It's just what we call it at URI. Yeah, so I think my, my understanding is that Inside Out Week is a little bit broader. It's not just looking at eating disorders, but it overlaps with NIDA Week because we can kind of interweave those things together. Okay, that, that's really great. So this year, everything's going to be virtual. Is that right? It is, yeah. Um, do you have any examples of some things that people might be interested in attending or joining during that week? Yeah, sure. So the, the discussion that I just spoke about, uh, intersecting identities, um, that information is being blasted out. It should be on the events calendar. It's free. You register. It's through the Renfrew Center, which, again, is a national uh, organization that uh, runs numerous programs around the country treating eating disorders. 
Um, and that is, I, I'm hoping, very easily accessible. If anybody's listening and they think, oh, I'd really love to go to that, but I can't find the registration, call the counseling center, uh, shoot us an email, um, visit us on Facebook. Um, so hopefully the word gets out around that. Eureka is also going to be hosting a talk. Um, I believe they're hosting a talk on health at every size. Um, which is really a movement to appreciate that people can be healthy at any weight um, with the understanding when I say any weight, as long as they're healthy, right? So working away from you have to plot at this point for your BMI in order to be healthy and look good, that you know people can be quite healthy plotting all over the BMI chart. And it's working against that stigma that you have to be thin to be healthy. Um, so we're bringing in a local dietitian to do a discussion uh, with Eureka around that. Yeah, I'm really passionate about health at every size and I'm being a nutritionist now, I, I tried to promote that idea about, you know, trying to, it's not about losing weight or achieving a certain weight. You can promote healthy behaviors within your body and change all of that and how your body systems are working without concentrating on just the number on the scale. So that's great. Yeah, it's great for me to hear, Sydney, that that's what you're focused on and excited about as you move into the career, you know, the career field. Um, that's really great to to know that people are, are excited about doing that uh, upon graduation. Yeah, absolutely. And since this is tying in so well, I'll just ask you, how does weight stigma um, affect college students? Are you noticing any trends? Yeah, so um, one thing that I'll mention, I went to a talk not too long ago around eating disorders in the college population. And one thing that I really appreciated was it was a physician giving a talk and they talked about the stereotype of the, the freshman, you know, weight gain that happens. Um, and that there's actually no reality to that, that if you look at weight trajectory of people who start college, they don't have that much of a change. Um, but the fear that people are going to gain weight when they come to college, they don't want that freshman 15, right? They, they want to make sure they don't, you know, change their body shape too much. That fear that they might be gaining could actually lead to over control or feeling like you need to start restricting your intake increase your exercise. So that's one thing that I would, you know, that I would put out there is to recognize that that's a myth um, and that it could lead to really unhealthy behaviors. Um, the other thing that I would put out there is that, you know, there is focus and concern around the way people work to control their intake when they're going to be drinking alcohol, um, that there's fear that consuming, you know, calorically dense alcoholic beverages is going to change their weight. And so perhaps I might restrict during the day and then because I know I'm going to be drinking at night um, to make up for the calories and the danger in that, right? Because we know that can kind of alter how your body absorbs uh, alcohol. Um, so that's another thing that I would put out there to encourage people to be aware of and, and understand that's a really unhealthy behavior. Wow. <laughs> I'm just so intrigued because, yeah, Sydney and I are both dietetics majors and I'm also a psychology major and you're just hitting on so much stuff that I've been so interested in why I got into the field. And wow, just thank you for coming before before I forget. Oh, but Thanks for doing that. <laughs> of course. But on the topic of college students and eating patterns and weight stigma, what can you tell us about eating disorders and college students? Like any statistical, like values or like the prevalence of eating disorders in college students? Yeah, so I will tell you, if we're looking at eating disorders overall, um, the, the age range that the typical college student is in 
matches up very nicely with the age range that we see a new onset of an eating disorder. So it means that there's a high risk, right, for college students to develop eating disorders. And then if we, you're, you mentioned you're a psychology, you're studying psychology, you know that there's never just one isolated thing, right? We're always looking at the layers that, that fall on top of each other. Um, so one layer I would look at there is for many college students, they're learning how to feed themselves for the first time. Not meaning that you didn't feed yourself at home, right? But that probably somebody was kind of putting food in the house, doing the shopping, kind of pre-selecting things. There wasn't as much choice. Then we go to college and there's a lot of stress around eating for, for many students, right? Not only are you thinking about like, am I gonna like this food? It's kind of different. I'm used to eating the food in my house. Am I gonna find things that I like? Is there a lot of repetition in, in what I'm eating? Um, but also the stress that can come up around, I have to find someone to eat with like 14 times a week. That's a lot of social pressure, right? So now we have this increase in anxiety around eating times along with the pressure around what am I going to choose to eat? Am I going to like anything? Is it going to look weird? Am I eating the same things as my friends? Um, so there's a lot of coordinating that can go into eating again, which can cause stress. Um, and we know oftentimes when we're stressed, we can have an anxious response to things. Um, so I would, I would put that layer out there. The other thing I would put out there is that we know that eating disorders oftentimes are exacerbated by times of stress. And when we think about starting college, think about all of the newness. You're living in a new place. You're living by yourself for the first time. You have to manage things like I was mentioning before, living in tight quarters with somebody maybe you didn't even know before and don't necessarily get along with. You're managing academic pressure. College courses are much harder than high school courses for most people. So when we think about all of the stress that comes into play, we can think of that as a trigger for developing an eating disorder. And then if we think about that layer of worrying that you're gonna gain weight and the stigma in our society around weight gain, um, it's kind of a, uh, almost like a perfect storm coming together. I never realized it was that many layers because I've experienced like firsthand living in the dorms and like trying to be healthy while like also like I'm a dietetics major. So like learning all the information and like knowing what I should be doing, but all the different layers that could just affect. Wow. I didn't, I never realized that. Um, so if a friend or a family member opens up to you about having an eating disorder or maybe just like an unhealthy body confidence relationship, you know, with their body and whatnot, how would you say you could best support them um, either by what could you, is there something that you could be saying or are there things you should probably try to avoid doing around this person? Yeah, so that's that's a great question. And I think that it can be really a tough dynamic to be in, right? Because we don't want to be dismissive of saying like, oh, you look fine. I don't want to hear it because that kind of, you know, can really dismiss. Um, but we also don't want to feed into that underlying fear that that they seem to be having around um, what their what how their body is perceived by other people. Um, so I think it can be really helpful to have honest conversations with each other. You know, it's very uncommon in our society for anyone to feel super confident in 100% in the way that they look because there's there's a quite a big industry, right, that, that works against us feeling very good about the way we look. So sometimes normalizing and having that kind of frank conversation like, 
yeah, it's really hard to feel like we can never look good enough, right? So much pressure on us. And sometimes that normalizing can be really helpful. Um, it can also be helpful to kind of encourage people to look at life not through a filter, right? And by that, I mean, first of all, we wanna be like conscientious consumers of the media that we're looking at. Um, I know that most people have like an intellectual understanding of the fact that um, most of the pictures that we're looking at go through filters and are changed, right? But reminding ourselves of that when we're looking at screens that we're not looking at reality can be incredibly helpful. And, and putting the screen down, right? And looking at the actual people around us and knowing like the actual people around us are not perfect either. Um, and so kind of becoming a little bit more realistic around expectations can be really helpful. I agree, like having social media breaks, like my generation especially, we're like just so glued to our phones and so focused on what our screen is telling us to validate how we feel. So just like getting in touch with the actual people in our lives to validate how we're feeling. Something that we're not really taught to do and I think can be really helpful is respecting our body for what it does for us. Thinking about things like, my legs help me be a good runner um, or, you know, my arms are really strong and that helps me swim laps when I want to swim laps or I love dancing and the shape of my body helps me dance better. You know, so being able to not just, you know, work against the stereotypes, but also remind ourselves of the connection that we have to our bodies and what it does for us, the tool that it is. Um, and, and all that it lets us enjoy in life, right? My legs work, right? Uh, in, an, in a way that I can um, run a 5K and I, I didn't know I was capable of that. So, you know, again, sometimes it's also connecting the things that our bodies do for us. Yeah, that's super important. We've talked about it on the podcast, but I'm in the process of healing my foot right now. So there's a lot of things like that I would normally do that I really miss. So it's kind of like a lesson learned in the hard way almost. But at the same time, I'm trying to focus on, well, what can I still do? Like I can still stretch and still go outside. So yeah, always keeping in mind what your body is capable of and just being grateful for it, I guess. Yeah. And we've talked about that on the podcast before, like appreciating our body for what it does and like fueling our body for love and eating things and doing things that bring us joy and focusing on that instead of a number or, you know, like a PR or something like that. Just focusing on valuing our bodies for who they are, because we only have one body. We only got one shot. <laughs> I've heard of your body called an earth suit before, and I thought that that was really cute. It's like, this is how you're able to be here on earth. Is That's so cute. Oh, I love that. I love I've not that. heard that before, and I really love it. Um, so you had asked about intuitive eating. Yes, I, I did. not out on that very important topic. Um, so yeah, intuitive eating can be a really great way for people to connect again with themselves, right? Um Thinking about, for, for listeners who aren't quite familiar with intuitive eating, we're looking at being able to think about, what does my body need right now? What does it want right now? And how can I let myself enjoy it? And we've moved very far in our, in our society from really allowing ourselves just to be present in the moment with the food that we're eating and enjoy it. 
there's so much pressure put on making the quote unquote right choice, eating the right way. Um, and we know that when we start thinking about foods as good foods and bad foods, it really complicates our ability to feed ourselves in a way that nourishes us. Um, and so I think it's great. I think it's great. I, I will mention that um, for some people who struggle with eating disorders, it takes some time to get to intuitive eating because, for instance, if I struggle with restricted eating, then my hunger cues are not going to be working very well. I'm going to have to get to a place where I've kind of normalized my eating again before I can follow intuitive eating because I want to be able to, you know, when I'm when I'm working towards healthier eating, if I've been restricting, that I really want to be able to experience those hunger cues in order to follow what my body's telling me it needs. Yeah. And I have a question based on that. Would you say that even restricted eating can be, you know, making just like it sounds, restricting what you're able to eat, but could it also be compensating with exercise? So you're in a way restricting your intake because you're exercising to compensate. Yeah. So it's really common for people to exercise to compensate. We usually would call that purging through exercise, right? So many people kind of think about purging as self-induced vomiting. It's used for that term pretty frequently, but you can actually in the more clinical term, purge through um, laxatives, exercise, vomiting. So we would look at that as purging through exercise and it is a struggle for a lot of people, right? I'm gonna let myself eat this, but only if I do this, right? And that's where we get into that, those games that we start playing in our heads around what we're gonna allow ourselves to eat because that's a quote unquote bad food. So I have to you know, compensate by doing this for exercise. We wanna move to a model where we're, we're exercising because it feels good for our bodies, right? Not because we're looking at it as a way to burn calories. Yeah, and I have a question about that too because I've been seeing not so a trend, but just through social media, like I'm on Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, and there's a lot of obsession about clean eating, Mm -hmm. but I've heard that it could, and I've personally like struggled with like, you're counting the calories and then there's clean eating and then there's exercising. That's, I'm fine saying that that's an internal struggle that I deal with, but could that lead to more eating disorder tendencies? I know that there was a new defined name for like a eating disorder that involves like obsessing over clean eating but yeah but the the tendencies that of like clean eating and macro and calorie counting has that been a trend to then lead to eating disorders yeah i think actually elena i think we can look at different trends in eating as being triggers for eating disorders for years, right? We had the Atkins diets where diet where carbs were bad. You know, we have we have all different diets where we start eliminating certain foods. And again, we're going back to that, like, this is a bad food, you shouldn't allow yourself to eat it. Um, when we look at clean eating, it could also be a trigger for people who have a tendency towards rigid eating, right? Because there can start being such rigidity that it starts interfering with your life. I can't go out to eat with my friends because they're going to a place that doesn't have any of the items I feel comfortable eating. Um, And so now I'm losing my social network. Um, 
So we're looking at more so, is it becoming so rigid it's starting to interfere with your life, right? There's nothing wrong with, you know, paying some attention to what you're feeding yourself and trying to have a balanced diet. It's more about, you know, having some flexibility with what you're eating. Yeah. And I know, like, I've, I feel like kind of for like the college students and like being afraid of going into those like could be diagnosed as an eating disorder or am I eating healthy? Like mm-hmm. I've thought about that a lot because I've had an eating disorder in the past. It's kind of like trying to find that fine line of is it being healthy or is it leading to a bigger issue? Yeah. So yeah, yeah that's interesting. I, and I think that's really um, a, a great reason to tr- to talk to somebody in the mental health field, right? To kind of sort those thoughts out because the thoughts in our heads, you know, oftentimes it's helpful for us to be able to say those out loud in an environment where we don't feel like we're going to be around that person at dinner time, right? It's less comfortable sometimes to say everything to your friends or to your family, um, but but having a space where you feel like you can sound some of those things off, like I'm doing this and this and this, do you feel like maybe I'm kind of venturing into an area that's unhealthy or does this feel okay? Can we monitor this together? Yeah, which again, thank you so much for joining us for helping students to figure out you know, like internally and just giving them information about the multiple resources at URI. But we do finish off our episode with two just fun questions. Then you could ask us any questions that you have. But what are some of your favorite self-care practices where it's just your time doing something for yourself? Okay, um, so I really love hiking. Um, and I have two rescue dogs. Um, so one of them is a little bit... Um, she's a little bonkers so I can't always bring her she does this very weird yippy thing when she sees birds and everyone starts like staring and getting scared um but I love my rescue dogs and I love going hiking and I think it's really cool that in Rhode Island because it's a small state you can get to so many different hiking areas in such a short amount of time um and I also really love cooking I did like culinary classes when I was in high school actually um and I just finished a 30-day baking course with Christina Tosi um, of Milk Bar, which was like super fun. It was like an interactive uh, online with a peer group kind of uh, baking program. And that was really fun because that was like I had mentioned before, not something I I have a whole lot of time to do. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try this. It made, it was like a really different experience. It, It broke up some of the monotony. Yeah, that sounds like so much fun and a way to stay social too during these times. That's awesome. Um, do you have a favorite food that you could share with us? Oh gosh, I really like so many different foods. It's so hard for me to share, but I'll say we're just heading into Chinese New Year and I love dim sum. Um, and before I moved to Rhode Island, I lived in different major cities um, where you could go to like big dim sum houses and uh, fresh dim sum off carts. And that's one of my favorite meals to have. I'll miss that this year. That's not something we can do this year, so I'll miss it, but dim sum, definitely. Wow, that's so cool. Thank you so much, Allison, for meeting with us. Do you have any questions for us? 
Yeah, I would love to ask you guys both a question, if you don't mind. Sure. I think I mentioned to you guys earlier this week that I really love my job at the university. I love the students. I love seeing students and interacting with them. So it's like an extra, it's like an added bonus that I'm doing this with you guys that are, you know, both students. Um, so I'd love to hear from both of you, like, what year you're in and what you're, what you're thinking you want to pursue when you graduate. Sydney, do you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. So I'm a senior and I'm nutrition and dietetics major. And I'm going to take this next year to find employment. Um, so I'm not going to do a dietetic internship right away, if ever. We're just going to see where the road takes me, basically. Um, and I, I don't know, I really want to work in nutrition education. I love working with children. But yeah, my heart right now is pushing me towards advocacy work at for the ideas we were talking about before, like health at every size, body confidence, intuitive eating. Um, yeah, and taking a lot of the stigma away and the pressure away to change so much about yourself. Because it's just so unnecessary. But yeah, yeah, I want to help people do that. How exciting. Yeah, and then I'm a junior, so Sydney's sadly leaving me next year. Um, I'm a junior dietetics and psychology major. I'm also a group X instructor within Campus Rec, so I'm very involved in Campus Rec, but I kind of wanted to pursue both dietetics and psychology because I wanted to help, um, you know, children, college students, maybe, maybe pregnant women and adults, but I kind of want to focus more on school-age children and college students of um, their relationship with food and how if we could change how we view the food that we're eating, that we can live a healthier and happier life. So kind of working with eating disordered um, people and, you know, just showing that food is only meant to help you. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. You guys have such like inspired goals and really creative too. I don't know that I've ever met anybody doing psychology and nutrition as, uh, you know, together. That's really a cool co combination. I felt like it kind of needed both because while dietetics, you can learn the scientific principles of like food groups and like how much, you know, macro and micronutrients we're supposed to be eating. I feel like I needed the psychology to show like why our brain could be feeling this way mm -hmm. about food and like if we could change the relationship and find where it started for that negative relationship to then turn into a positive one. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. really great. Great. Well, thanks for sharing that with me. Of course. Um, so can I just add a little plug before we leave, because we we're talking about National Eating Disorder Awareness Week, just really encourage any listeners who are struggling with eating issues to know that they're not alone, that treatment is available, recovery is very possible, um, and just encourage people to reach out to the community. Thank you. That was wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you again for joining us. We've been wanting to really like have an episode that was focused on Nita Week and Inside Out Week to let students know that there are so many resources and there's so many people in their corners that only want them to succeed in college and outside of college. So thank you so much for joining us today. Um, this was a very long episode, so we're going to start to wrap it up. But we've, we've been really looking forward to having you on the episode. So thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much. Of course. And with that, I am going to close us out. I hope everybody has a beautiful, happy, healthy, and amazing week. And we will see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye.
Thank you for listening.